Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. Well, it looks like everyone's done wishing everyone happy Easter. All right, well, um, let, me, let me share this quickly, because I was uh, sharing with uh, and I forget who, when we had our board meeting, uh, that the guy who played John at the Last Supper presentation, how many of you guys were here for that? Uh, that uh, His name was Mark, I don't know how many of you guys know him, but he is like this big, giant guy, and the actual Apostle John was kind of like small in stature, like a smaller guy, so I thought it was funny that he was the guy who plays him, and Mark is usually not the guy that plays any part, he's usually in the back, but I thought that was the best presentation of the Last Supper I have seen them do. That uh, When we had them do it at the uh, Grand Theater in Elizabeth, it was okay. I've seen them do it other times. It was, it was okay. I mean, it was good. But this one was just so powerful and moving. Uh, but the reason I bring it up is because the Apostle John, uh, and I shared this a while back, he wrote the Gospel of John, uh, and his intent was to share information that the other Apostles didn't necessarily leave out, but didn't focus on. Uh, so when he wrote the Gospel of John, he included um, only one thing that they all share in common that didn't have to do with the last week of Jesus' life. So uh, although he included a lot of different elements, a lot of healings, a lot of miracles that they didn't include, the only one thing he did include that didn't have to do with the last week of Jesus' life that they all included was the uh, feeding of the 5,000, food and fellowship, uh, and he, he kind of included that uh, because they all included that. It was a powerful miracle. But then nothing else in his gospel is shared by the other apostles that doesn't have to do with the last week. Um, everything else John shares is unique to the gospel of John, except for the feeding of the 5,000 and then the things that go into the last week of Jesus' life. Now, uh, just for the sake of time, because it's super early in the morning, I'm going to put uh, verses up here on the screen. And in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 9, is what we read. Early on the first day of the week, so Sunday morning, for all intents and purposes, while it was still dark. Uh, now, we do what's called a sunrise service. Everyone does it at sunrise. Um, they actually went before the sun rose, is when Mary Magdalene went to the grave. But a sunrise service sounds better than, you know, a Jesus after dark service. So uh, while it was so dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Now, in his gospel, John refers to himself as the one Jesus loved. And when I first became a Christian... <clears throat> For some reason in my head, I put the one Jesus loved, and I added the word more after that, the one Jesus loved more. But it's not that he loved him more. It's the fact that John loved the fact that Jesus loved him. And, I mean, there's a lot of people, if you talk to youth today, and I just saw another tragedy where another young adult jumped off of a bridge. I can't remember. I think it was in the Keysport or Duquesne and committed suicide. And over and over, we have people who are dealing with the fact that no one loves them. Uh, there was a few weeks ago a young adult who broke up with uh, 
whoever he was in a relationship with, and as a result, he committed suicide and over and over again. And I, I think one of the principal things that John keeps calling out in his gospel is the fact that, hey, Jesus loved me, and that's what got him through you know, a lot of the tough situations. All the other apostles were either, <coughs> excuse me, we say martyred, but basically murdered. They were killed for their faith. There were attempts made on John's life where he was boiled uh, in tar, I believe it was. Some say oil, some say tar. I don't know which. Either one is excruciating. Whipped several times, beaten, all these things. And the fact that God loved him, I think, is what allowed him to persevere through all that. But he said, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. And John, when he says the other disciple, he's talking about himself. He saw and believed. Now, he adds this parenthetical statement, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. <clears throat> now, here's the thing. John didn't understand um, the resurrection. He didn't understand that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So what is it that he believed? Now, here's what he believed, and it's a little weird for us, because John believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, we grew up in church calling him Jesus Christ. Some people do it as if it's his last name. It's not his last name. It's actually a title, the Messiah. Um, and Messiah is the Hebrew term. The Greek term is Christ. Messiah, the one anointed and chosen by God to deliver and redeem the people of Israel. Now, John didn't understand, wow, he had to rise from the dead. But he believed that Jesus was this person, the one who was anointed and chosen by God to deliver and redeem the people of Israel. From uh, Moses' time, Moses had, in Deuteronomy said, hey, there, God will raise up a prophet like me, and he will be the Messiah, and he's the one that you should follow. Now, when Israel was its own nation, they really didn't look for anyone to redeem them because they're like, we're our own nation. We don't need anyone to redeem us. We're doing fine. They were looking for a king, and so they kept having kings. But once they went into captivity, then they began to see, yeah, we do need someone to redeem us and deliver us. Now, I'm going to go through a lot of scripture um, and, and, and some math. So, um, may need to hit the coffee because I think it's ready. Because it is early in the morning, way early in the morning for math. But uh, I'm going to jump back to the book of Daniel. We're going to look at this prophecy because God gave Daniel some specifics, very specifics, about when the Messiah would come. And so he said, this is Daniel. Um, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. The street shall be built again. And he's talking about the streets of Jerusalem because it had been decimated, shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And if you read through the book of Nehemiah and um, I forget the other book, but if you read through it, you'll see that, yeah, the walls were rebuilt, and the streets were rebuilt, and the whole city was rebuilt, but it was a tumultuous time. But then he goes on, and he says, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. In other words, now we can look back and say, yeah, 
that the Messiah, Jesus, was cut off. And it wasn't because of anything he did. He was killed or cut off for us. And he says, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come, now he's talking about end time prophecy, the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And long story short, we'll get into this way in the future when we talk about prophecy. Uh, we're going to do a series called uh, The Return of the King, the coming back of Jesus Christ. Uh, but not for himself. The people of the prince shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. A lot of, a lot of scripture there. But if you like, put aside the end time stuff for now, and, then, and this is basically what he says. He says, the going out of the word to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. This is the start of when this prophecy is going to take place. He says, from that point, um, <clears throat> there'll be a set number of time period until the Messiah comes. Now, the going out of the word to rebuild Jerusalem took place in Nehemiah chapter 2, around 445 B.C. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine. This is Nehemiah uh, speaking. I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lives in ruins? And he's talking about Jerusalem. And its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. So he's basically saying, hey, I want to rebuild the city of Jerusalem that was destroyed and decimated uh, almost 70 years prior. <coughs> Excuse me. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? And it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. So this is the time period, and this is the event, where King Artaxerxes literally said, and not only did he say go forth and rebuild the city, he funded the project. He gave him the money to do it, he gave him soldiers to protect him, and he also uh, gave him all the things that had been taken captive uh, out of the temple, uh, all the cups and the gold and uh, the golden items and the silverware and all that stuff. He gave him a lot of that stuff to take back, to put back into the temple once the city was rebuilt. So uh, he funded this entire project. Now, here's the thing. This is where it gets a little weird. Okay? Uh, so he funded this entire project, and going out of the word to rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, and he said it's going to take seven weeks, three score and two weeks. Now, here's the thing. Seven weeks uh, plus six, three score and two weeks is 62 weeks. So seven weeks plus 62 weeks equals 69 weeks. But he wasn't talking about weeks. Uh, one week, that term week, is a seven-year period. Just like we use the term decade for a ten-year period, they use the term week for a seven-year period. So it was going to be 69 seven-year periods or 493 years. A lot of math. Are you still with me? All right? 493 years from the go command to go forth and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah comes. This is what God had revealed to Daniel. It's going to be 493 years from the command, go forth. Now, when he gave that command, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to remember, was somewhere around uh, 60 to 70, it, might have, it was less than 100 years before that command was actually given. When Daniel received that command, it was somewhere, I want to say 60 to 70, 
not quite sure on the map, but it was less than 100 years, maybe 50 to 60, before the command was given. So 493 years from the time that command goes forth. Now, here's the thing. We have 365.5 days in a year, because we have the leap year and all that stuff, and then we have 366 years. On the Babylonian calendar, there were only 360 days in a year, period. That's just the way they did it. Their year, their calendar year started, and then 360 days later, it ended, and then it started again. So, again, the math. So, 360 days times 493 years equals 173,880 days. Okay? And somebody who has a watch can check the math, because I think I did this in my head. Um, now, here's the thing. 173,880 days from the command to rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah comes. That's what God said. The decree to rebuild Jerusalem in Nehemiah chapter 2 happened on March the 14th, 445 B.C. Now, here's the thing. There was a general, not specific, a general agreement that this date was probably correct until people began to match it to this prophecy, and then it began to be disputed. Because if you take 173,880 days later from March the 14th, 445 BC, brings you to what we call Palm Sunday, April the 6th, 32 AD, the day that Jesus Christ made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And once these dates were matched, that's when people went back and said, well, it wasn't March the 14th, 445 BC. Even though God said with specificity, that there is going to be this amount of time until the Messiah shows up, and then the Messiah will be cut off, and not for himself. It will be for us. And that's what John began to believe, that this Jesus was not Jesus Christ, but he was Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the one who gave his life for us. Now, it wasn't all of the miracles, all the miracles made him believe that, yeah, there's something special about you and that, yes, you know, you might be the son of God. But when he saw this empty tomb and there was nothing else that could fit except that you are the son of God, you are the Messiah, you are the one that God sent to redeem not just Israel, not just us in the city of Jerusalem, but all of humanity that you are the one who paid the penalty for our sins. You are the one who died so that we didn't have to. You are the one who reconciled us to God. And you're the one who paid our debt. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And uh, we're going to close out with just singing a song again. And God, we just thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you are indeed the Messiah. We thank you that although you could have chosen to do otherwise, that you willingly allowed your son to die in our place so that not just we in this room, but all humanity could be redeemed, so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be made whole, so that we could spend eternity with you. 
We thank you that you didn't make it impossible for us to know or to see, but you made it possible for us to put together all these pieces and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Amen. just as we sang, we just praise the one who paid our debt and raised our lives up from the dead. We give you all praise and glory. We thank you for your sacrifice. We celebrate you.